0: The following production is an adaptation of a story written for the Treks and Sci-Fi RPG, found on the forums at treksandsci-fi.com. On this board, a group of writers collaborated to create this and other stories and continue to do so. Listen to the Ready Room microcast, available on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast feed, to hear dramatic readings of the stories as they are updated weekly. Star Trek boldly. Before the USS Arabella graced the void, Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn commanded a mighty Akira-class starship known as the Tiberius. She was a beautiful vessel, crewed by an eclectic group of explorers who discovered strength in their diversity and courage amid tribulation. This is a telling of their valorous deeds and gallant sacrifices as they boldly faced their darkest challenge. Much like an extended series of sneezes, the sensation of laughter felt invigorating and at the same time, very awkward. The unexpected emotion subsided gradually as the Vulcan woman choked it down to a cycle of muffled chuckles. A smile was all that lingered after Severel triumphed and subdued the uncouth outburst. The First Officer shook her head once and raised her dark eyes to meet the Captain's. Forgive me, Captain. The very rare and beautiful smile slowly shrank as she acknowledged Nathan Quinn's stunned expression, which was fixed like a stone statue upon her. Quinn dropped into his chair.
1: Are you okay, Number One?
0: At that, the last visage of a smile dissolved into her typically stoic air. I don't know. Underneath the mask of impassiveness, she felt embarrassment. Her brow furrowed as she looked down at the mess that she had made on the table. The water Savril had spilled, which began her eruption of emotion, dripped off the captain's table and onto the floor of his quarters. She lifted the towel from his slack hands.
1: I can take care of this.
0: Quinn eyed her curiously as she nervously tucked a long strand of hair behind one ear and cast her gaze back to the mess on the table.
1: Have you had an outburst like this before?
0: She looked up once more. Not since I was a child. Captain, I've been feeling on edge since shore leave. With the abduction of my father and the recovery mission, there has been little time for rest or meditation.
1: Maybe that's it. Our trip to Vulcan should be uneventful. That should give you plenty of time to relax.
0: Avoiding the captain's curious gaze, she asked, Are you sure you don't require assistance? No need.
1: Are you ready for dessert?
0: A smile returned to her lips once more. Dr. twirled a short lock of blonde hair with her index finger as she read Ensign Sherla's medical file. There weren't many families aboard Tiberius, and the obstetrics pediatric specialists liked it that way. Their low numbers allowed her to be more personable and involved in her patients' lives. Friendships were the best medicine in her opinion. The chief medical officer entered the sickbay. Good evening, Dr. Peterson. He returned the greeting and sauntered over to Krell to check
2: on his status. Unfortunately, his condition hasn't changed since this morning, said Ryla as she crossed the floor to stand beside the Vulcan's bed. If the away team hadn't removed him from that place, the Romulans would have killed him. The mind probes severely damaged his brain, but it's not too soon to know if it has caused him any long-term impairment. Dr.
0: Peterson nodded and turned his gaze from the comatose diplomat to the woman standing on the other side of Krell's bio-bed.
3: Yes, I know. Thank you for holding down the fort.
0: He turned towards his office and stopped. Running his hand through his brown hair, he turned back to Dr. Drett.
3: One of my roles as Chief Medical Officer is to broaden my staff's medical expertise. You're already an accomplished physician, Dr. Drett, but acquiring other specialties will ensure promotion. I'd like you to bone up on Vulcan Neurology and help me come up with a treatment for Krell. I'll assign Nurse Christine to assist you. Of course, I will oversee your work and aid you when necessary.
0: He noted the Trill's nervous expression.
3: I know neurology is not your specialty, but I believe it's important for physicians such as ourselves to occasionally step out of our comfort zones. Does this opportunity interest you, Doctor?
0: Ryla was specialized in a field that very few physicians bothered with. She chose it because of that reason. It made her a valuable staff member. It wouldn't hurt to expand her knowledge in order to better herself, But one couldn't be great at everything they studied. But perhaps she would be more help to Peterson if she accepted his offer.
2: Yes, thank you, doctor. I will accept, but I don't know about finding the treatment for Krell. Vulcan neurology isn't something you bone up on. It's a specialty that takes many surgeons decades to master. I would be happy to assist you, but I doubt I would be capable of finding the key to his treatment simply by reading over files on the subject. She tucked the blanket around Krell tighter as she continued... Commander Savril told me that we are taking her father back to Vulcan so that he can be assessed by a Vulcan master. When she looked up, she noticed Dr. Peterson had closed his eyes and was
0: massaging his temples. Are you okay, Doctor? Casey Peterson forced a smile.
3: Mm, It's just a headache. Probably just a result of all the overtime I've been putting in lately. I know it may seem overwhelming, but I would not have asked if I thought it was too much for you.
0: Ryla nodded and watched him walk to his office. When she turned back to her patient, Dr. Peterson took the opportunity to open his desk drawer and removed a small flask that he kept for just such occasions. He lifted the authentic Sarian brandy to his lips, took a shot, and closed his eyes until the throbbing in his head subsided. Secluded in his dimly-lit quarters, Lieutenant Catan was finding it difficult not to stare at the mirror. Try as he might, he couldn't escape the feeling that the person peering back at him was a stranger. It had almost been a week since the MedTechs had reversed the cosmetic changes called for by their recent away mission, and he was almost back to normal. Almost, but not quite. Granted, he no longer looked like a Romulan. His temporary lightened skin had finally gone back to its normal rich brown, and his ears no longer tapered into points. His neatly trimmed goatee was coming in nicely as well, but his hair… Catan ran a hand over his head in frustration, alternately studying his left and right profile. The mane of black hair that he wore in a ponytail since childhood had been sheared off to match the pageboy style commonly worn on Romulus. Upon his return to Tiberius, the barber had tried to shape the remaining hair into something more in keeping with Starfleet regs, which had left him with a short, military cut. Catan doubted that he would ever get used to the feeling of air on his bare neck. Without his hair, he almost felt naked.
4: Dorsal!
0: He cursed, then turned and trudged to his room's replicator.
5: Roast hog, rare, and earth vegetable mix number nine.
0: With a soft, buzzing whirr, a covered platter materialized before him. Stomach growling in anticipation, Katan took the platter to his table and sat down. His mouth watered as he pictured himself biting into a tender cut of meat, his concerns temporarily forgotten. Katan removed the lid of the platter with a flourish, then froze in shock. Sitting on the plate before him was a mass of sticky, yellow tube grubs. The lieutenant slammed the lid back on the platter with a clang and sprang to his feet. Katan shivered in revulsion. Having been raised as a Klingon, he had a firm appreciation for many aspects of his adoptive culture. He had not, however, developed a taste for eating bugs. In fact, during his youth, it had taken roughly a dozen fistfights to convince his peers not to tease him about his fear of gok. Hell, he even won a few of them, the hint of a smile formed on Catan's face. Good times. He thought. Catan returned the platter to the replicator, and after watching it disappear in the shimmering, of lights, turned to exit his quarters.
4: Perhaps I have better
5: luck in five forward.
0: As the door whispered closed behind him, Catan strode down the gently curving hallway. Thinking back on his last visits to the Tiberius' main lounge, he felt his mood steadily improving food always seemed to taste better in social settings. Sergeant Mike Tarrant looked down at the holographic game board in front of him and sighed. He couldn't think of a single way to get his entrenched battalion away from the incoming mech group that had almost miraculously appeared, from nowhere, on his rear flank. He looked across the board at the large Orion officer, lazily sitting back in his chair, casually smoking a foul-smelling black cigar and blowing smoke rings across the board.
5: "'Damn it, Tin,"
0: said Tarrant.
5: "'How the hell did you sneak that group over there? I'm getting tired of losing like this. You sure you don't have the sim linked?' (laughs)
0: Lieutenant Cedric Tain looked over at Tarrant with a look of pure innocence.
4: Now, Mikey, you've known me for near on twenty years. Would I do something like that?
0: said Tain with a grin. Tarrant glared back at Tain.
5: It's the fact that I've known you that long that makes me ask that question, Lieutenant. Bah! The game is yours.
0: Mike Tarrant ordered the computer to reset the sim.
5: Let's try this again. I've made some interesting changes in the parameters of this map. Well, let's see how you cope, Mudrick.
0: Tarrant grinned as he watched Cedric Tane grimace at the Uh, nickname Tarrant uh. had gifted him years ago.
5: You make the first move.
0: As he watched the hulking security officer look over the board and start distributing his troops, he couldn't help but think of the irony of Tane's situation. Tarrant had known Tane when he was a shiny new recruit. The kid was born to be a soldier. Tarrant watched the youngster rise through the enlisted ranks and demonstrate over and over his leadership abilities. Cedric Tain always followed the orders of his officers, from all apparent appearances, although he generally joked of their incompetence with his fellow non-coms. You could always tell the incompetent officers, though. They rarely lasted. Whether it was a request for a transfer or an accident, they never seemed to last long. Tarrant thought it was very ironic that Taine was now an officer himself, something that Tarrant needled him about constantly. Although he wouldn't make a big deal out of it, Mike Tarrant was very pleased that Taine had been assigned to the Tiberius. These days old friends were hard to come by. The sergeant was jerked back to the present by Taine announcing that he was done with his setup. It was Mike's turn. As the old sergeant turned to the board to begin analyzing his move, the board seemed to waver. He felt himself getting lightheaded and off balance. This was followed by a blinding headache.
5: Oh, man, Cedric, I feel like I just got a boot to the head. You know, I think I'm going to have to call it a game for now and get
4: back to my quarters. Haha, <laughs> what's the matter, Mikey, not up for another raising?
0: Cedric laughed. Tane then noticed the look of pain that was written on Terran's face.
4: Oh wow, you do look like you're in pain. Maybe you should head down to bay. See if there's anything wrong.
0: The sergeant waved off his concern.
5: <laughs> it's going to take more than a headache to get this old horse to see those vultures. I'll be fine. Just need to get some shit I. You know, it's probably that smoke from that stinking thing you call a cigar giving me a headache.
0: Sergeant Terran elaborately waved the smoke from the air and headed towards the door.
5: I'll be back tomorrow when I'm off duty to take my revenge on you, Tane. Now don't you go messing with me any of that setup or that sim, because I'll know if you do.
0: Cedric Taine watched his old friend leave the room, and quickly started looking at the parameters of the game sim.
4: There's nothing saying, I just can't look though, is there? Bloody fool.
0: Tain smiled as he tried to delicately hack the sim, but stopped almost as soon as he started. He told the computer to save the sim, as it was, and sat back in his chair. He couldn't say why, but for some reason he had an unsettling feeling about his old friend. He almost opened a channel to Tarrant to ask him if he was alright. stopped himself.
4: Ain't nothing wrong with that old goat that didn't come from drinking synthahol. If I check on him, he's just going to call me an old doddering nanny. I ain't going to give him the pleasure,
0: he said to himself. The hulking officer snubbed out his cigar and prepared to hit the sack. The blue-skinned Andorian ran his hands across the science station on the bridge with practiced ease. Assistant Chief Science Officer, Lieutenant Zrem, was enjoying a relatively quiet shift at his post. Since coming aboard the Tiberius several weeks before, Zrem had quickly become at ease aboard the starship. Much of this was due in no small part to Commander Savril. They had known each other for several years after meeting on Vulcan during a conference on The Teachings of Surak. Savril had found it quite odd to see an Andorian attending a seminar on the logic and discipline of the mind. She had approached Zrem and was shocked to be greeted with a traditional Vulcan hand gesture and salutation of peace and long life. Her experiences with other Andorians had been generally strained. Even though both worlds were founding members of the Federation, their two peoples had an early history of distrust and conflict. He vividly recalled their first meeting as he worked on calibrating the port sensor array.
1: Peace and long life.
0: Zrem said as he parted the fingers on his raised right hand in greeting to the Vulcan woman approaching him. Zvril's eyebrow lifted in surprise. And to you as well, Lieutenant.
1: Lieutenant Zrem, science specialist on the USS Shepard. I know it must be a bit of a shock to see me here.
0: I must admit, Lieutenant, I was a bit surprised. The teachings of Surak are not usually subjects I have found Endorians to be interested in.
1: Yes, my people can be fairly narrow in their thinking at times. I, though, have always been fascinated and intrigued by Surak and his message of peace and logic. In fact, I have one of his earliest works in book form right here that I read often.
0: Zrem sat as he pulled a large tome out of the bag he was holding. As he moved towards Savril, a nearby bird cried out and Zrem's antenna amplified the high-pitched sound. The lieutenant became dizzy and stumbled, sending him crashing into Savril. He ended up on the ground on top of the young Vulcan. Are you injured, Lieutenant?
1: It's just my head. Still a bit dizzy. Those birds have always given me a headache and problems when I visit. Normally I get a hypo-injection before coming to lessen the effects, but I didn't have a chance this time.
0: Then if you're undamaged, perhaps you can lift yourself up. That would make our discussion less... awkward.
1: I'm very sorry, Commander. I'm not the most graceful at times.
0: Zrem said as he pulled himself up and helped Savril to her feet. Unless it was your intention to knock me down, there is no need for apology, Lieutenant. She said as her new acquaintance looked away, trying to avoid Savril's stare.
1: Oh no, ma'am. Maybe we should continue our discussion while we eat. Our short rest break will be over in twenty minutes.
0: That would be agreeable. Just then, a flashing light on Zrem's control interface brought him back to the present and the Tiberius. The sensors were picking up a quasar-like phenomenon approximately 2.3 light years away. A quick check of the stellar cartography database revealed that this was an uncharted occurrence. Time to get down to business and stop dwelling on the past. He had to admit that he might not be there working with Savril on Tiberius if that first awkward meeting had not taken place. You should eat something, the holographic woman said, as she and Lieutenant James sat in the engineering section of the Aurora. They had been designing, redesigning, modeling, and fabricating the components for their project.
6: Aria and I just had a big dinner.
2: That was 36 hours ago, Eric. You should try getting some rest. The designs are the best we could come up with. Now that the power cores are gathered and the control matrix is assembled, it's just a matter of assembly and testing.
6: I just want to put together the second sphere, then I'll get some rest."
0: Eric said as he applied the microwelder to the support frame of the small, orb-like device. He had been up for days now, and it was obvious to anyone who cared to look. The normally clean-shaven officer now sported several days' growth of facial hair. His normally pristine uniform had become wrinkled and had taken a scent, much like the one you would find on a Klingon battlecruiser.
6: It should only be a few
0: more hours, Eric said as he wiped the sweat from his brow. You don't need to
2: do this. Arya and I were well on our way to finishing the units. We just got a little busy with the OA mission. Why don't you test the noon modification with the prototype and then we can incorporate the changes to the orbs?
6: That's actually a great idea. Transfer holo-matrix James K-9-Alpha to the prototype orb. Make sure that the hardware integrates the physical response subroutines into the matrix.
0: Aurora touched the shoulder of her creator and sighed. Just go shower, I know what to do. Arik smiled as he jumped from his seat and stripped off his tunic as he headed for the sonic shower. Computer, activate Lakeia hologram. Aurora said as she rolled her eyes. Her fingers moved swiftly over the engineering console as she watched Eric enter the head. Aurora smiled as the small tennis ball-sized device chimed to indicate the transfer had been completed. As soon as she had spoken the words, the prototype orb rose and the integrated emitters began to generate a small, canine hologram. It had been Arya's dream to name the test hologram after the early Earth-Canine Space Explorer. While they continued to process the data, they made modifications to the Alpha and Beta orbs. Aurora smiled as the dog yipped and hopped off the table. She nodded as the tricorder reported that Lakia was no different from a normal canine. That had been her contribution to the prototype. Instead of using standard holographic emitters, she had suggested that they use the hydrogen Modified Federation design. She stroked the fur of the dog and smiled again as he (laughs) responded to her touch. Less than an hour after Eric shaved and showered, he found himself walking down the deck of the Tiberius with a small brown and white dog in tow. Telemetry from the prototype was constantly being streamed to the Aurora, but Lakia needed to stay active for as long as possible for him to fine-tune the emitter designs of the scaled-up models. He needed a good place to leave the dog that would keep it occupied, and it occurred to him that children would be his best assistance in the research. Eric found himself pausing at the quarters of the First Officer. Impressed the chime. He hoped they would find the dog interesting enough to keep it entertained, while Aurora gathered the necessary data. Seeking peace and solitude, the mother of two left her small children playing with Dennis, the hologram that her husband had created to watch over his family in his absence. Zavril finished her tea, entered the privacy of her bedroom, and closed the door. No more than five minutes had passed when her eyes opened suddenly. A rapid succession of shrill barks stabbed at her ears and demanded her full attention. An instant later, Dennis appeared in her room. Who is it?
4: Some guy. You want me to show him to the door?
0: A smile stretched across his face that told Zavril that his idea of showing their guests to the door was quite different from her own. No. You sure? Quite, she replied as she got to her feet. The barking continued, resurrecting the dull headache that only recently had abated. Feeling somewhat muzzy, the Vulcan abandoned her meditation to investigate the source of the painful yapping. Standing in the entry to her quarters was Lieutenant James and his small, white dog with a big brown spot on her side. The rude little beast continued barking as the children's giggles grew increasingly louder.
3: Children. Children.
0: Shh, shh,
6: shh. Good evening, Commander.
0: <laughs> Said Eric between shushes as he tried to calm the holographic pooch. Seville cringed at the noise, yet resisted the urge to cover her ears. What is the purpose of your visit, Lieutenant?
6: I thought that the children could use a new playmate.
0: Eric smiled as he continued.
6: Lakia is completely housebroken and well-trained. The pup is also a test platform for a holographic emeter system that we're working on. If we can stabilize the holomatter matrix, we can incorporate the updates into the beta units we're working on. Lakia is as real as we could make the pup. The only feature it's missing is a digestive system, but normal tricorder scans will still register it as organic.
0: Lychia means barker in Russian, an appropriate name for such a vocal animal. (laughs) Had Eric considered giving the pup to the children before they designed the prototype, he would have increased the size of the Matrix to support a Selot cub. It would have been a more fitting gift, and if they could fix the Matrix, it could be later updated. (laughs) Counselor Margon picked up his quarters and stopped to stroke the cat's fur. The cat purred and rubbed against him.
1: You're in a good mood.
0: The cat stared up at the counselor as if to say, You don't spend enough time with me. The bullying counselor had been involved in an intense study of psychotherapy and holotherapy theory. But with all the telepaths in the crew, he needed to know how to treat and help them. It was simpler, with non-telepaths, to use techniques that he'd learned at the academy. After all, he used to be a barber. And the gift of gab is what got him interested in helping people as a counselor.
1: Oh, I've been cooped up too long. I've got to stretch my legs.
0: He instantly thought of the children. He and Savril's toddlers had gotten along so well. He thought of a wonderful idea.
1: Computer, Does Savril's children have any allergies? Negative.
0: The counselor picked up Mr. Mouse and held him tightly.
1: Let's go for a visit, Mr. Mouse.
0: The doors opened and Mr. Mouse looked up and mewed. He wasn't used to many trips through the ship, and became a little nervous at the onset of their journey. Enter! Her door opened to reveal two half-Vulcan twins. The children, excited at having a dog in their quarters, were quickly under the impression that the cat was a gift as well. Sevril glanced to them to see their little faces frozen in eager anticipation. A moment later, Marin shrieked with glee as the dog and the cat locked eyes for a brief moment. Then, unparalleled chaos ensued. Savril pulled minute. her toddlers Watch to out. her as the cat leapt from Margon's arms and the Hollow Terrier gave pursuit. The commander grimaced as the beasts knocked over her harp, breaking the fragile instrument in half. The expression on Eric's face was priceless, but not as much as the and the children. Things in the room began falling everywhere as the dog barked and Mr. Mouse ran, who was like a blur of fur through the room. The counselor just stood there with a stunned look on his face. He and Eric met eyes and simply opened their mouths. Mr. Mouse seemed to defy gravity as he bounced off the Vulcan relics on her walls and tore the children's drawings in an attempt to evade the small menace chasing him. Counselor... I did not know you would be visiting. The woman and her two giggling toddlers deftly dodged the two animals as they darted past.
1: I just needed to stretch my legs. I thought the children would enjoy a visit from Mr. Mouse.
0: Said Margon as the cat ran up his leg and held tightly to his vest, his claws now fully extended in the counselor's arm. Zvril watched as the cat scaled the counselor and climbed upon his shoulders. Red blood flowed from his blue skin. The Vulcan's eyes widened as she saw that the cat had drawn Margon's blood. Eric apologized profusely and scooped nice up work. his squirming terrier.
1: It's okay, No harm done. Except to our first officer's quarters and my arm. <laughs> I think I'll just take Mr. Mouse back to my quarters.
0: Marin and Naval rushed to the pet dog. Their quick movements once again frightened the traumatized Mr. Mouse. No longer willing to endure the present company, the rotund cat let out a hiss and sprang from his perch on Margon's shoulder to dash into the corridor. Eric tried to restrain the dog, but she flew from his arms, tearing after the feline. The doors closed, leaving Eric and the counselor stunned.
6: Uh oh!
0: Unable to contain their excitement, Marin and Naval scurried after the animals with Margon and Eric close behind. When the coast was clear, Dennis appeared beside Savril.
1: You should have had me take care of him.
0: The brawny hologram turned his grin towards the slight Vulcan, and quickly recoiled at the sight of the twisted scowl she fired at him. In silence, Savril surveyed the devastation caused by the furry beasts, drew a slow, deep breath and calmly exited her quarters. As the doors of five forwards swept open, Lieutenant Catan's ears were assaulted by what sounded like a party in full swing. The vast room was almost filled to capacity, and there was an eclectic mix of both uniformed and civilian patrons eating and drinking at various booths, tables, and bar schools. At a booth near one of the large viewports flanking the bar, he saw a particularly boisterous group. Three uniformed men and women were laughing and pointing at another officer, who appeared to have fallen out of his seat. Glancing to the officer sprawled on the floor to the numerous empty glasses and tankards scattered across the table, Catan determined that the synthahol might have played a role in the scene playing out before him. As the tall, female officer bent down to help her comrade back to his feet, Catan smiled to himself. The scene reminded him of the mess hall of a Klingon ship, where warriors played with at least as much vigor as they fought. This looks like
5: my kind of group.
0: He thought with a smile, and slowly made his way to the booth. As he waded through the milling crowd, he caught the eye of one of the harried waiters. You like it? As the waiter quickly really and efficiently wiped down one of the few unoccupied tables, Catan tapped him on the shoulder. Looking up, the waiter asked, Can I help
5: you, sir? I was just wondering, why it seems busier than normal in here? Is there some kind of holiday or something?
4: I wish I knew. Business seems to have really taken off in the last few days. I guess people are just tired of eating in their quarters. Sir...
0: As the waiter rushed off, Catan stepped up to the booth and loudly cleared his throat. (coughs) The tall, dark-haired female officer looked
2: up with a challenging grin. Well, what do we have here? Another yellow shirt? Pull up a chair, friend, and join us. She exclaimed with a smile.
0: As the group broke out into a fresh (laughs) ball of
2: laughter, the female officer gave him a slap on the back. My name is Tara. I don't think I have seen you around. Did you just transfer here?
5: I'm Catan. I recently transferred here from the USS Ranger. I haven't really had a chance to settle in a routine yet, but my training is in tactical and security. I'm sure that we'll get a chance to work together before too long.
2: I can't wait.
0: I just hope you can keep up. The woman nodded to a glass before Catan.
5: Thanks, Ugh, but I'll pass. I never did like drinking synthahol. Drinking it feels too much like playing make-believe.
2: Who said anything about uh. Hall? I've got a few connections. Uh. This here is the real McCoy. Pure, unadulterated Surian Brandy. Help yourself. Unless, of course, you're afraid. <laughs>
5: yes. I assure you, it would take more than a couple of glasses of Syrian Brandy to put me out.
0: Meeting the woman's piercing blue yes. stare, Katan returned her grin and Focus. took a long pull of the potent drink. Eyes stinging from the vapors rising from the brandy, Catan finished it in three determined swallows, then slammed the empty glass on the table. Ah. The drink blazed a trail of icy fire down his throat, then settled in his stomach, creating a warm, pleasant glow. As the warmth slowly spread from his stomach to suffuse his whole body, Catan was faintly aware of the cheers of his new friends. Nicholas Took began his evening shift at 1,800 hours. Being an ensign meant that he worked the delta shift, but he didn't mind. There were always fewer people around, and he could focus on the job at hand. Nick checked his hair one last time in the mirror before grabbing a toolkit and exiting his quarters. As he walked down the corridors, he hummed a tune, something from his childhood that he hadn't heard in years. As he passed fellow crewmen, he gave them a nod and a quiet... Evening. This common Uh, gesture wasn't unusual to others, but to Ensign Took, it was a big step. He ordinarily kept to himself. But today, Nick was in a good mood. His breakfasts with Captain Quinn were great. Nick and Nathan were becoming closer. He knew he could call Nathan a friend. And to Nick, who spent most of his life with no friends, that was a big deal. Not only was Nathan his friend, but he was his captain. He knew that Nathan didn't have breakfast with them because he felt pity for him. He genuinely enjoyed his company. Ensign Took entered engineering.
1: Good evening, Lieutenant Plummer.
0: Lieutenant Plummer looked surprised and gave Nick a slight nod.
2: She handed him a pad. Well, Mr. Took, today you will be in Jeffrey's Tube 36. It seems that one of the gel packs is malfunctioning.
0: See if you can locate the problem. Nick took the pad and gave Lieutenant Plummer a slight salute with the device.
1: You got it, Lieutenant
0: he said with a smile. Plummer's smile grew as she turned to another crewman, who had just entered and was waiting for his assignment. The lateness of the hour, combined with the relative quiet status of the ship's current disposition, allowed Kararth the opportunity for some much-needed time in the holodeck. He preferred late-night sessions where he could have as much time as he wanted to run its simulations. Whereas other Klingons used the holodeck to stage mock battles as a form of physical and mental therapy, Cararth preferred the relative isolation and individual challenge of long and perilous quests. This evening, he had spent the better part of four hours in an attempt to run through a recreation of the forge on the planet Vulcan. It presented an entirely new set of environmental challenges that he had never faced, all of which put his strength to the test. Having never been to Vulcan, he looked forward to seeing the real thing upon their arrival. He would have to ask Commander Savril about that. Perhaps she would consider joining him, if her time permitted. Sweat dripping down his brow ridges, sand and dust stains marking his one piece jumpsuit, he strode down the corridor, having finished his evening's activities. Rather than immediately returning to his quarters, he decided to stop by engineering to see how the new Delta Shift team was doing under Lieutenant Plummer. The doors slid open and he entered his domain. The Lieutenant was giving duty orders to a few of the new ensigns. As they took notice of him, he could feel the tension in the room increase. It made him smile. Even after all they had been through on their last mission, the trial by fire so to speak, it was good to see he could still keep them on their toes. Ryla Drett looked up to see Dr. Lucas leveling her with an icy stare. The man looked like warmed-over triple feces, but she wasn't about to tell him that. She hated confrontation, and did just about everything she could to avoid its unpleasantness, especially with regards to Dr. I'm a Jerk. He made it known to the medical staff that he wasn't very fond of happy people, so Ryla decided to avoid his crotchetiness for fear that it might be contagious. The middle-aged Terran was flushed, and his forehead was beaded with perspiration. He didn't look at all well. (coughs) She had asked if he was ill, but he waved her off with a boorish gesture and continued working. Rayla watched the fresh-faced young officer as he approached the transparent double doors of sickbay. The ensign had a bounce in his step that made her smile. He entered, looked about the room, and approached Dr. Lucas.
3: Ensign took from engineering, sir. I discovered three infected biogel packs. Procedure requires me-
4: I know! Hand them over!
0: Without bothering to look up from his work, Dr. Lucas stretched out his hand to receive the hermetically sealed package that contained the biohazard in question. Ryla watched the young man's bright smile fade slightly. It was then she decided to intervene. The young Ensign glanced at Ryla, then back at Lucas who happened to be shooting daggers at the Trill who had intercepted the biogel. She ignored Lucas's heavy glare. Ensign Took sidestepped the frigid Terran, who had been so rude, and followed Dr. Dret. While Ryla scanned the bio-gel packs, she looked up at Ensign Took, who felt Dr. Lucas's eyes on his back, and turned to glance at the coarse physician. She glanced up to see Dr. Peterson rubbing his temples once more. Headaches weren't common, and she was beginning to worry about him. She set down her medical tricorder and strode across to his office, on the opposite side of the room. He glanced up and smiled as she knocked on the translucent wall.
3: Please, come in.
0: While continuing to massage his temples, Dr. Peterson shifted his eyes
3: back to his report. What do you make of these findings? The virus is changing so rapidly that my scanner can't keep track of the variations.
0: Dred examined the microscan and witnessed the
2: rapidly replicating organism. This virus is unlike anything I have ever come across.
3: Please repeat the tests on the gel pack as soon as possible. Let me know the result of your second analysis. I'll be in my quarters for the next few hours. Notify me of the results when they're ready.
2: Aye, sir.
0: Part 2 of Star Trek Boldly is coming soon. Playing the part of the narrator, the voice of the computer, and Commander Savril. Jen, co-host of the Ready Room Microcast and the Anomaly Podcast. Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn, played by Kenny, co-host of the Ready Room Microcast, found at treksinsci-fi.com. Dr. Casey Peterson, played by Nathan P. Butler host of the Learnerverse and founder of StarWarsFanWorks.com Counselor Margon, played by Rick Moyer co-host of the Ready Room Microcast Lieutenant Cedric Tain and Dr. Lucas played by Trexan Sci-Fi Forum member Vartok Dr. Ryla Dret and Lieutenant Tara Stass played by Angela, co-host of the Anomaly Podcast Lieutenant Mike Tarrant, meds host of the Waffle On podcast. Lieutenant Katan, and Dennis the Hologram, played by Jen's brother, Billy. Lieutenant Plummer, played by Michelle, Billy's fiance. Lieutenant Zrem, played by Rico, host of the and Sci-Fi podcast. The Ten Forward Waiter, played by Edward Woodward III, host of the 23rd audio drama. Ensign Nicholas Took, played by... Trexan Sci Fi Forum member Billy Bob 476. Lieutenant Eric James, played by Daryl, the tip giver on the Instance podcast. The Aurora Hologram, Rory, played by Casey, regular contributor to KC Geek Chic at blogspot.com. All music used in this drama was composed and performed by Nathan and Rick Moyer and Kevin McLeod. For links to these podcasts, blogs, and musicians' websites, please visit anomalypodcast.blogspot.com and leave your feedback there or in the Trexan Sci-Fi Forum.